Welcome to Weaving the Future, a how-to guide for transforming ourselves, our communities, and society. I'm your host, Robin McLean, bringing thoughts born of reflection, research, and especially a deep love for the world. We can feel societies unraveling around us. Let's not just patch the holes. Let's reweave these threads into something beautiful. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much to everybody who has listened so far and given positive feedback. It really means a lot to me. And um, I'll just start today by saying that this process of creating a podcast has been um, really exciting and challenging and also a little bit vulnerable and um, a lot of work. I'm really grateful for the experience and I've learned a lot about it and I, I feel that it definitely relates to what I'd like to talk about today, which is um, what we can all do as individuals to acknowledge that the world is <laughs> falling apart around us in many ways and um, not working in the way that acknowledges the beauty and the connection that could exist. A key question that I aim to answer in this episode is, what can we do? In other words, if we acknowledge that there's a lot of trouble in the world and a lot of pain and suffering and waste and injustice, and that many of us, and I would hope most of us, crave on some level to address this in some way and to be part of the solution or part of the change that helps the world function a little bit more smoothly and kindly and um, without all of these things that are really dragging um, many of us down. So my aim is to present a list of things that you can consider if you're listening um, to consider learning about or practicing um, or getting out there and experimenting with in order to, you know, as some would say, be the change that you want to see in the world. One of the difficulties with an episode that focuses on what we can do as individuals is that no one of us as individuals can hope to solve the problem. So it's a bit of a paradox of, okay, it's not just an individual issue. There's probably not going to be one hero who swoops in and saves us all. And yet we are individuals who need to make decisions and move forward in some way. I'll say first that my aim is to focus on my own experience, especially what I've found to be helpful, um, the questioning that I've done and what I'm grappling with. And related to that, I'd like to present the idea of living the questions rather than having all the answers. I feel less of the 
panic or urgency that can come with this question of what can we do? What do we do next? And, and how can we, how can we make a difference? And how can I be part of the change? If it seems to me, if we are living the questions and doing it in a really raw and open and dedicated, committed and, um, vulnerable way, I feel like there's so much that can be done. And honestly, the more of us that can do that, that can genuinely um, search and, and try, the more change we're going to see. So that's, that's a really good starting place. With all of that in mind, I'll start listing some things that really stand out to me in terms of what we can do as individuals or where we can start or what we can do next. I'll share these things divided up into the categories of what we can do more on an individual level, what we can do on an interpersonal level or in terms of working with others, and what we can do on more of a community or society level. Now, I started this episode thinking that it could cover all three in one episode, but it's proving to be a lot, not surprisingly. So I've covered, I've concentrated today on a bit of an intro to how I'm thinking about everything. And I've really just focused on what we can do at that individual level as a start. I look forward to digging in more depth into what we can do at an interpersonal level and at a community or societal level. I'm going to give a fairly quick list or overview of these things. I'll include quite a few resources in the show notes and I'll also share a Google Doc that I've done that summarizes many of the same resources into some different categories just to show how I'm approaching this work and um, what I'm currently examining and researching myself as I dig into what needs to change or transform um, at all of these different levels and, and what we can learn about in order to be part of that change. The first one I'll talk about at an individual level is the idea of slowing way down. I start with this one because it feels so key to being able to do any of the other things on this list, including those things at interpersonal and society or community levels. What do I mean by slowing down? I mean, partly what I see in a meme that's thrown around on Facebook a lot, stop the glorification of busy. This speaks to what we reward or look to as as good in our culture. And on some levels, it's people who are getting things done. And um, a leadership course I did a few years ago through the Human Venture Institute one of the ideas the leader Ken Lowe threw out there was, we don't know where we're going, but we're making good time. And 
I think of it so often when I see people rushing around and being efficient. And the question is, efficient at what? What are we getting done? And I feel like the best chance for us to really examine this and to make sure what we're doing is effective in the ways we actually want to be effective, we need to slow down, think about what we want, and be intentional about how we move. Another aspect of this that I feel is quite important is the idea of working less. And I recognize here there is definitely some privilege to being able to present this as, as a way forward. And of course, I feel some discomfort around that. And I'm, I acknowledge uh, that not everybody is able to slow down in the way of working less. That being said, there are many, many of us who have more than we need and work more than we need to in order to have those things. Naomi Klein in the book, This Changes Everything, presents the idea of part-time work schedules as one of the most important things, maybe most straightforward and impactful things that our society could do to, to explore what it means to slow down, do less, buy less, and tend to other things in our lives rather than going to work, including growing food, making food, having rich relationships. And I will be one of many to say that, that the COVID-19 pandemic was quite interesting as an examination of what it feels like to slow down. Not everybody had that privilege of slowing down. I have a four-year-old at home and without childcare, it didn't always feel like slowing down. And yet on many, in many ways it did. Um, I was able to connect with my child far more often because I wasn't trying to balance relating with him with work as much. There were others who were essential workers or who needed to continue to work in order to meet their basic needs. And I'm sure many of us saw examples of people who did slow down, who were forced to stay in their house for weeks on end, and who experienced in a very embodied way what that felt like. And... Um, there were a lot of challenges with it. It wasn't as simple as slowing down um, by choice because, of course, there was a lot of trauma, a lot of collective trauma involved with the pandemic. And still, with all those things considered, many people slowed down in a way that hadn't happened for the longest time. Fewer travel, less social engagements, less doing in general, fewer courses, fewer gym visits, all of those things. And instead, a chance to grow food, a chance to cook, a chance to do art, a chance to write, a chance to sit back and feel all of those things that are very important in this notion of slowing down. 
The next one I'll mention, and I'll just touch on it quickly because I spent a whole episode already on this idea, and that's intentionally recognizing and shifting our mindsets. There's one more resource and way of approaching or thinking about mindsets that I want to emphasize that I didn't in the episodes about mindsets and paradigms. And that is the characteristics of white supremacy culture. This is a a really excellent resource that helps everyone examine aspects of our culture that are really undermining connection to each other, ourselves. They're really undermining racial justice, which of course undermines justice in many other areas as well. Um, including ableist culture and um, to some extent patriarchy as well. Some of the characteristics they list are perfectionism, sense of urgency, quantity over quality, worship of the written word, um, either or thinking. There's a number of others and each one includes a lot of really good suggestions for antidotes. They are framed on this resource in terms of characteristics of the culture of an organization or workplace, but it's not hard to um, examine them and reflect on how they play out in our culture as a whole. Certainly, in many ways, our culture is made up of organizations and workplaces as well as communities. So I share a lot of resources. If I were going to emphasize any of them, that's one I would emphasize um, in terms of our own learning and thinking and things that need to shift and change. I'll thank fellow podcaster and fellow evaluator Carolyn Canman for pointing this list out to me. I've since seen it in a number of other places, but they were the first person to say, hey, you should really look at this. The third thing we can do at an individual level, which relates to the dysfunctions that result from this white supremacy culture, is to try to do our work and just to try to live and be in a way that comes from a place of love and a place of intention and connection rather than a place of fear, anxiety, or urgency. And there's a whole lot more that can be said about that, and I have touched on this idea and will continue to as as I roll out this podcast. For now, I'll just say that this is a practice and that a lot of the work we do when we're alone can be thought of as a way to figure out how to come from this place. And that relates to the fourth thing at the level of individual, which is ongoing healing of barriers and wounds. I've struggled at times with healing work and taking the time that it really needs to do healing work because of this of a sense of urgency. Urgency to connect with the outer world and to do the work that I feel is needed to help heal things at more of a community level. As I've gone on, it's really been obvious to me that if we don't do that work, it's so hard to come from a place of love and intention. It is 
much easier to come from a place of anxiety or fear, even if it's not what we want to be doing. If we, for example, have a feeling of pain in our body, that may manifest in how we're acting. If we have a feeling of pain in our emotional body, that certainly can manifest in how we react to those that we're, that we're relating to and how we perceive the issues that we come across and what we consider to be possible or not possible. So all of that is to just underscore that it's important to pay attention to where we're stuck and to tend to ourselves. The fifth thing I want to talk about at the individual level is listening to our inner voice and understanding our unique medicine or unique genius. When I use the term genius, I use it in the way that author and podcaster Michael Mead does, which is to refer to not a small group of people who are incredibly intelligent, but instead speaks to the idea that each of us has something essential and unique and special to contribute. So when I use this term and talk about how important it is for us to find our true voice, our inner wisdom, our true purpose. It's with the assumption that on some level, each of us does have a longing to contribute to society in a meaningful way, and only we can discover what that looks like. Um, beneath all of the conditioning and the dysfunction that exists in our society as it is now. I feel that I, in the last few years, look around me and see more and more people who are really doing this level of digging. And whether they have come across Michael Mead or similar authors um, with this concept of genius, they understand it on some deep level, some soul level, that that's really what they're searching for and that the best way to find it is to look inside. I have an episode planned that's um, quite specifically around this topic and I'll also share some resources I've come across that help dig into it. The final thing I'll mention at the individual level is to actively experiment. This pulls us just beyond the individual level into what we're doing in the rest of our lives, which gets into, of course, the interpersonal level where we're relating to other people in our lives, as well as the community and society level. It's the idea that we can bring what we're learning and what we're digging into in our individual work into our work and the way we're living in the outside world. I wanted to bring up the idea of actively experimenting kind of as a, an answer or an antidote to the tension that I have, have noticed and grappled with for a lot of my life, which is the idea that 
we, the most powerful work we can do is our inner work. And that if we're coming from a place, as I mentioned, of wounds or urgency or fear, that our, our work on the outside or external work won't be as effective. So we need to start with ourselves. And yet, if we spend our lives only doing that inner work, we'll probably find that we'll never finish because there's a lot to be done in terms of healing um, and it may never be done. So what is what is a way that we can do both? And I feel like actively experimenting is a really nice place to start or a nice way to think about things. So what it might look like in some ways is, you know, experimenting with slowing down, taking on a little bit less, actively taking some space, and reflecting on what it feels like. Experimenting with understanding mindsets like scarcity versus abundance. What does it feel like in my body when I do work from a place of scarcity versus a place of abundance, for example? Doing work on your healing, addressing barriers and wounds, and reflecting really deeply on how differently you act or relate to others or relate to your work. And experimenting with understanding how to hear your inner voice even if at first it's a bit quiet and doesn't necessarily speak directly to you about what your meaning or purpose is just just starting to experiment with listening to it and for small things and what does it feel like when you listen to that inner voice versus don't listen to it and how can we experiment with that at smaller or larger scales in our life you know don't maybe jump right to saying my inner voice spoke to me and I need to quit my job right now and start a business um, that might <laughs> bring up a lot of um, uncertainty in your life that you're not ready for but if you experiment with saying my inner voice told me not to go to that event today or my inner voice told me to reach out to somebody and ask how they're doing there's lots of things we can experiment with there so that's the beginning for answering this question of what we can do as individuals. I really do look forward to talking about the interpersonal level as well as the community and the societal level. There are links in the show notes to all of the resources I talked about today, as well as a link to the Facebook group, which is a great place for discussion if you have any questions or comments on any of these episodes. And I will, as much as I can, throw out questions that, are, that I'm really grappling with and would love to hear from listeners about. So please check out those resources and I look forward to next time. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Dustin Zwarek for sound editing and everyone engaged in discussions so far. See the links in the show notes to join discussions on social media or to find our website. 
and for any links to resources that we talked about today. You can email us at weavingthefuturepodcast at gmail.com with any thoughts, questions, or suggestions. Thank you, and until next time.